Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 113 of the podcast. My name is Carrie Newhoff, and I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. Well, you ever wonder why, like, some churches beat the odds and the others just don't? I mean, maybe you think about that in your community. If your church is kind of stuck or, you know, you just haven't seen what you hoped you would see, yet there's a church down the road that's, that's you know, reaching people that you had hoped you would be able to reach. Why does that happen? Well, my guest today is Rich Birch. And if you've been around podcast world, many of you know him from unseminary.com and from the Unseminary podcast. He was one of my first guests. We'll talk about that, I think, episode eight. And uh, he's also a fellow Canadian who's worked on both sides of the border, most recently at Liquid Church in New Jersey, but also is a leading expert on multi-site and many things church. And he's just seen a lot of churches and he's got a brand new book out called Unreasonable Churches. And I sit down and talk to Rich about why some churches just seem to do such a great job and others seem to, you know, struggle a little bit more. So I think you'll find it a fascinating conversation about how these churches beat the odds. And also, uh, because Rich is a fellow Canadian, hey, it's a great time to remind you guys that yesterday I launched a brand new monthly podcast called the Canadian Church Leaders Podcast. And this is just born out of my love. I live north of Toronto my love for my country. And the reality is we don't have much of a national dialogue on the church, at least not one that I'm a part of. And so I thought, well, why not start a podcast and try to foster one? Now, if you're not a Canadian, which would be about 85% of you who listen to this podcast, uh, are we going to ban you from the podcast? Well, no, we're Canadians. We would never, ever do that. So uh, if you want to listen to a conversation about a country that is somewhat like yours, but still a little bit different and definitely more post-Christian and more post-modern and definitely has like fewer churches than our neighbors to the South in America, you might find it interesting. So episode one debuted yesterday. I sat down with Jeff Brody, who's on, is the lead pastor of the team at Conexus, and we talked all about myths that churches struggle with. And I'm going to guess that it's not just Canadian churches that struggle with this, because I've heard so many people use the excuse of context, etc. And so we just have an honest conversation about myths that need to be busted. It's a monthly podcast. You can head over to it. We'll link to it in the show notes but it's called the Canadian Church Leaders Podcast. If you search my name on iTunes or Google Play, you'll you'll find it as well. So anyway, just wanted to extend that invitation to you. Also want to let you know about a new partner for the podcast. And this is a partner, it's trainedup.org, that I think is going to help you with probably one of your most vexing problems. Because if you have a lot of volunteers, and we have over 500 volunteers at our church, training them can be a real challenge. Sometimes you've got the content, but it's just like, how do you get everybody in the room? And how does that work? Uh, Well, you know what? Onboarding new volunteers can feel really chaotic and disorganized for everyone. So Trained Up specializes in onboarding your new volunteers a lot more efficiently, less confusion. They actually build online courses for you. So you show up with the content or they can even help with that a little bit. And man, they'll, they'll help you facilitate a webinar for your volunteers. So all those people who can't make it in person, or maybe you'll just move to like online training. It's amazing. And you're like, well, we don't have a tech team for that. No, no, no. They are your tech team. That's it. 
that's it. They, they take care of the delivery for you, so you don't have to worry about that. If you want more information, you can go to trainedup.org or hop on over to the show notes, kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 113, because there's a free book from Trained Up that will outline the five-step process that they would suggest that you use for flawless volunteer onboarding. So I really hope that helps you. Hey, also want to let you know about Rethink Leadership. Man, tickets are going fast. And if you want to be there in April, I would suggest you would. It's the final week of April. And last year we did it. It will will sell out this year. We had over 500 leaders there. We're going to cap it at 700. And it's unlike any leadership conference I think you've been to. It's exclusively for senior pastors, lead pastors, campus pastors, and executive pastors. And we're going to bring you world-class TED Talk style content. Plus, some great interactive breakouts. I mean, some of them are very small. I, I remember one guy last year said, I can't believe I sat around with Dan Ryland in a boardroom with 12 other people and got to ask my questions for an hour. Like it's that kind of intimacy. So we would love to have you be a part of it. Just go to rethinkleadership.com for details. And remember the best rates are happening right now. So in the meantime, why don't we dive right into my conversation with Rich Birch? Well, it's really good to uh, actually do another in-person interview. We've done them via Skype, Rich, at times. So but. great to be in the world headquarters of Kerry Newhoff Ministries International. Right, which is still <laughs> my temporary office, months after yes. it should not have been. Yes. But I showed you the, the future office oh, that hopefully nice. by the time this airs, I'll be in. Nice. But great. in the meantime, here we are in my family room <laughs> and... <laughs> Your microphone is on an IKEA box. It's fancy. It's fancy. It's, it's good. Really high end. <laughs> we take great. only the best for my guests. <laughs> yeah, only exactly, the best. Rich. Exactly. Exactly. Hey, Rich, nice. you've been. Uh, you were one of the pioneers of this podcast. Mm. We go back to what was it? Episode eight, I think. I you think were? so. Yeah, it was Episode one of the first eight. ten. Yeah, it was yeah. Amazing. And you got yeah. your own deal, the Unseminary podcast. Yeah, I know you. a lot of people are going. How do I know that name? Yeah, <laughs> and <laughs> right. Unseminary blog. Mm-hmm. Uh, you just released a brand new book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, tell absolutely. us a little. We'll talk about it a little bit at the end. But sure, unreasonable yeah. churches. Yeah. And then you just made some fun changes in your life in yes. terms of ministry. Welcome back to Canada. Yeah, we've moved back to the true north, strong and free. Happy to be back here around the corner from uh, from you. Glad to be back here for sure. Yeah. And uh, tell us a little bit about your travels in ministry. Yeah, that's great. So I, um, you know, been in ministry for almost 20 years, served really in three different great churches over the last, you know, the, that time, a church in the Toronto area called the Meeting House, a great multi-site church, uh, and then served for a little bit with this guy named Kerry Newhoff at this crazy church mm-hmm. <laughs> killed. Connexus, um, right at the, you know, really at the precipice as, as, as we were launching out, um, you know, I guess that would be nine years ago now. And then seven years ago, moved to, uh, to New Jersey, uh, God's favorite state. Joyzy. Uh, <laughs> exactly. You have no and, American accent on you. And, well, it's funny. I get it both ways. When I'm down there, people, they hear my Canadian accent. And then when I'm up here, they hear that they say I sound American. So really, th- yeah, which is weird. Every you once sound in exactly a while. like you did nine years. Okay. Ago. Well, that's good. Sometimes the words will pop out that sound American. So, which is, which is good. But, but anyways, we moved back uh, just a few months ago and excited to be back. Uh, my kids are finishing up high school, which is wonderful. That's really a big driver of it. But I've actually uh, taken the executive director uh, role at a camp up here called Camp Minio. It's a kid's camp, yeah. about 2,300, 2,400 kids a summer. The cool thing about this is this camp started uh, in the 40s. So most of the churches I've worked with are like, they count, you know, they're like super excited. They get to their fifth anniversary. They can't believe how amazing it is. Well, we just celebrated 70 summers at Minio, which is, mm. it has been an interesting change. Uh, that's a different, you know, this is a different animal, but we were started by a half a dozen local churches. And um, it, you know, part of what I'm 
excited about is how we can get reconnected to to local churches. Really, it's all about developing leaders and raising up uh, next generation. So that's been exciting, and obviously continue to to do on seminary and connect with church leaders through that. So uh, glad to be back. Glad to be here. In, yeah, in Canada. And you again. and your family are hanging out at Connexus. Yes, absolutely. Too, which is a lot of fun for it, us. Absolutely, it's a great season at Connexus. It's a fun fun time to be a part of uh, the church. I'm, I'm going to see if they'll maybe let me help set up tear down stuff. Maybe uh, I think we'll help. Be a roadie. Let me help with a little more than that. Even maybe, <laughs> you know, maybe fun. just a little bit. Yeah, yeah it'll be and fun. I know why you came back to Canada because the first weekend you were there, mm-hmm. you and your wife Christine had me and my wife Tony up yes. for dinner, and we went to your place. Mm-hmm. It's the waterfront. Yeah, that it? is very oh true. Oh my goodness, yeah. it's gorgeous. It's just world class. Yeah, beautiful. it's true. You know, spot. I was just in a team meeting yesterday where we were sitting out on the front lawn, you know, out in front of this lake, and I had to pinch myself. I'm like, wow, this is a pretty amazing place to do ministry. Great group of people. Yeah. Uh, so it's fun. It's been uh, it's been great so far for sure. So let's talk about your role at Unseminary yeah. because you get a chance to interact with a lot of church leaders. You're like 180 episodes yeah, into your crazy. podcast. I, I, that makes me laugh. We just we just went past that milestone, and I actually chuckled when I counted them up. I'm like, that's a lot of people to talk to. <laughs> you, you really have sampled yeah, a lot of leaders. Yeah, it's and crazy. It's crazy. Your podcast, I mean, you're into the details. You're into the mm, weeds yes. with leaders, and you're talking about very specific yep. Um, things that they're doing. And, mm-hmm. and if you follow Rich, if you don't, you should. But mm-hmm. if you read unseminary.com or you listen mm-hmm. to the Unseminary podcast, you'll know what I mean. Bottom line, you study a lot of churches. Mm-hmm. So um, your book, Unreasonable mm-hmm. Churches, mm-hmm. what makes a church unreasonable? I thought that was a fascinating title. Oh, that's that's a great question. So, you know, we, we're an interesting industry that we're in. Uh, 94% of all churches uh, in our country are losing ground against the communities they're in. So a lot of times yeah. you'll hear the statistic like 80% of churches are plateaued or declined. Well, the depressing news, it's actually worse than that. Yeah. There, you know, 94% of the churches, uh, you know, in our country are are not growing as quickly as the, the communities they're in. So they're actually losing ground over time. And so what we set out to do is to try to find some churches that are bucking that trend. And I think we live in a time where, um, you know, churches are, you, you can study any model, you can look at all different, you know, types of churches. And and one of the interesting thing is to see churches that are growing, typically what they're doing is they're going in a new direction. They're doing something different. They're choosing to be unreasonable. The reasonable thing would be to follow this, the, the rest of the industry, the rest of the 94% that mm-hmm. aren't growing. Where unreasonable, they are doing something by definition that is, it, it kind of bucks that trend. And so, you know, wrote the book to try to be an encouragement to people. I really am a fan of the local church, although it starts yeah, in a are. kind of a, you know, a, a depressing, like, oh my goodness, what are we all doing? It's, you know, I was joking with a friend recently. I said, if there was any other industry that was like, that had the statistics that we have in church leadership, it would read something like this on the front of the Wall Street Journal. Industry with 250,000 employees teeters on the brink of extinction. Uh, but that's not my, that's not hmm. my um, you know, point of view on the local church. I really do think that, uh, you know, the local church is the hope of the world, as Bill Hybels has said. And, and I'm just excited to, you know, to point out churches around the world and really get a chance to interact with some amazing churches through on seminary and other areas. Well, I think you get into a justification mode, right? Where you mm, start to make excuses true. and go, well, in a, you know, in a community or a, a country, a culture where all the churches are losing ground, it's okay for us to lose yes. ground, right? It's mm-hmm, all right. Mm-hmm. Like, it's almost like, imagine being in television. And, yes. Well, ratings, of course, are down from the 90s. Right, yes. But we're still number one in a declining market, and we're shrinking every year, yep. but... 
Hey, we feel good about it. That's what you're trying to attack? <laughs> yeah, it's very true. Yeah. I'm really trying to motivate church leaders to think a different thought. I think sometimes we um, we fixate on kind of the lack, for lack of a better word, the kind of brain, brand name churches, this group of churches who mm-hmm. you know do a great job and God's really using them. But we think if we don't do it like them, uh, that God can't use us. And that's just not true. You know, we God has given you some unique skills as a leader um, to grow and and to reach your community. And I'm, I'm trying to hopefully motivate people uh, and to motivate their team teams ultimately not to follow necessarily. And I say this right in the book, my job is not for you to actually repeat anything that these 10 churches have done. In fact, you probably don't want to, yeah, yeah. Um, but what's not you, like do this and you will. Nah, exactly. Okay, in gotcha. fact, it's more, but my hope is that people will read the book and say, you know, I've always had this crazy idea about this thing. I think we should try. My hope is that this book will be permission that you'll read it and be like, Oh, maybe we should try that. So it's a and catalyst so, to do some things that yes. maybe are not very reasonable. Absolutely. So to speak. Yeah, so, exactly. But one of the things that's been a pivotal belief, in my life is that you can make excuses or mm-hmm. you can make progress, uh, but yes. you can't make both. And I find that's true with exercise. It's true with diet. You know, I love Dairy Queen. <laughs> Tony and I are going for dinner tonight at a yes. beautiful restaurant right next to Dairy Queen. We'll take, it sounds weird, but it's actually true. If you mm-hmm. know Barry, yep. you, you know that kind of uh-huh. thing exists. Yes, and, exactly. And it's, it's one of the best restaurants in Barry, but like, you know, it's going to take some, I can make excuses or I can make progress, but I can't make both. That's yes. a long way to say that one thing. Yep. Do you see churches making excuses, Rich? Absolutely. I, I know I do. Um, mm. And I know I, I, it's easy for me to make excuses. Yeah. Um, you know, I think we don't have enough money. We don't have the right people. Um, you think, gosh, if we could just have that person's team, if I could have that person's team, I could make a difference. You actually wrote this great blog post that I uh, reference all the time to folks about, you know, how people say like, well, if my church was just somewhere, was down yeah. south. Hey, if I was in Jersey, yes. you were, yes, I'd be knocking it out of the Exactly. Park. And people mm-hmm. have that idea all the time. As a Canadian leader who served in the States, I know sometimes Canadian leaders can kind of look down their nose and be like, well, if I was there, my church would be a million people. Well, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the amazing thing, the privilege I've had over the years to to interact with um, a lot of different church leaders, but also church leaders in some really influential churches. The thing that I've been amazed by is these people aren't superhuman. They're not. They're yeah. normal people like you and like me. They're people with foibles who make mistakes, who have worries, who wonder. Uh, but at the end of the day, they've been used by God. They've, you know, they've they're uniquely gifted, and God has, you know, set them up to do something amazing in their community, and they've taken the risk to do it. And and they've they really have walked away from the excuses that we all have. Yeah. Um, and said, no, let's just try it. Let's just, let's see what happens. And so, yeah, absolutely. I think we can make excuses. Uh, but, you know, my hope is that people will stop that. <laughs> yeah. What happens like when a church gets into a habit of excuse making? Mm. How, do, how does that feed the death cycle? And, and let's mm. be a little bit specific because you, yep. you study different churches yep. in your book. So mm-hmm. like there's a chapter on money, there's mm-hmm. a chapter on growth. Mm-hmm. I, you know, you've got churches in weird locations that mm-hmm. are doing a good mm-hmm. job. Mm-hmm. So I know, well, let's just make the assumption that close to 94% of the people listening to this podcast are probably in that statistic where they're losing ground. Or I think we're overrepresented by progressive churches and audiences like this, but let's Mm -hmm. say it's 60% or 70% where you kind of know what, like, is it, is it like Jim Collins where you just got to name the brutal reality? Mm -hmm. You've got to name the brutal facts and say, guys, we're losing ground. Like we're, we're. What does that do when you make excuses and how do you break the cycle? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. I, you know, I think a part of it, there's that quote, which I wish I could remember the author, who said, you know, the first role of leadership is to define reality and yeah. the last 
Um, the last role is to say thank you. And mm. I think there are times as leaders in local church, our job is to be you know, brutally clear about what's actually happening. That you know, if our church is plateaued or in decline, we shouldn't be in denial about that. And our leadership shouldn't be in denial about that. That can be, um, you know, that can, you know, that can be a hard reality to own, but I think we do have to own that. We have to stare at that and try to understand that. But then on the other end, I think we're called to be, you know, the the holders of faith. And obviously there's the big F faith that like, you know, our job is to steward this message of Jesus to our people, but, but we're also called to be people who will, who will raise hope and, and, and not despair as we interact with our people and to celebrate uh, the amazing things that are going on, even if they're small, even if it's, you know, a small step in the right direction. And so I think absolutely there can be this death spiral as people get caught in, um, you know, a situation like that where you just focus on the negative, you focus on, um, you know, maybe things aren't aren't happening here. Um, and all that's all you do is ever, you know, is, and, and sometimes people think that they're being a realist, they're not being, you know, negative, they're just trying to call it like it is. Uh, but really, sometimes that can just push, it can actually perpetuate what's happening. Actually, the church will raise to the expectation of its leaders, right. it will just become a place where people don't grow if we keep talking about that. And if, if that's our expectation. And so part of what we have to to do is reorient our thinking around, hey, no, maybe God does want to do something big here. And let's ask and find out what that is. Right. You can become a self-fulfilling prophecy. Absolutely. Easily. No, I know, you know, the way I've said it to our team over the years is we need to be our church's biggest critic and its biggest fan. Oh, that's very good. Yeah. Both. See, that's why you're a communicator. (laughs) It it took me 30 seconds. You said it in three. I just ripped it off of somebody else. (laughs) I'm sure that's like some quote that I just stole down the road. But, um, yeah, you know, it's it's that idea to say, whoa, it's really bad, mm-hmm. but it could be great. Yes. And yep. let's affirm what we see. So biggest critic, biggest fan. So mm. let's talk about money because mm, that's, uh, that's one of the things you've studied. <laughs> yes. A lot of church leaders, I mean, we have a mutual friend, Casey Graham, mm-hmm. and I don't know how many times Casey's told me, I'm just tired of hearing from broke pastors. Right. Like, right. it's just broke thinking, scarcity mm-hmm. mentality, and it seems to be an epidemic in our church where it's just, there's no money for ministry people don't give, mm-hmm. young people don't give, mm-hmm. but you've found churches that are actually breaking that paradigm. Yeah, absolutely. Tell us about your findings. Well, Bill Heibel said years ago, and it stuck out with me, it was on a tape. You know, I, that's oh, how tape, long ago it was. Uh, and it was his, his awesome. it wasn't a podcast. You it was his, his leadership moment. I remember uh, that. I remember defining those moments. defining moments. Defining right? moments. And he said at one point, and it stuck with me for 25 years, he said, listen, if the only thing that's separating um, your church from the vision that God has for you is money, then you should go out and raise some money. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and I remember thinking like, oh, well, that that's that's it sounds super profound, but it's true. You know, and I think there's two practices that it seems like churches have um, who are consistently trying to find or are able to raise the resources that they need to fulfill the mission that God's given them. You know, there's and it, it, they're kind of two tensions. One end is is there's a consistent um, getting out in front of people. Casey Graham talks about mm-hmm. you know the offering talk. You know, it, there's yeah. a lot of different ways to talk about that. But basically, week in week out, churches that have a vision and used and thank-filled moment that um, that they're talking about when people give to the church, 
Uh, they, you know, this is how your money is being used. And I, for at Liquid, we work really hard at ensuring that we were super explicit. Hey, you know, last weekend we had uh, some young people away at a senior high retreat. Did you know that there are a number of kids who came on that retreat who couldn't afford to come, you know, full value? And so when you give this morning, a part of what you're giving to is to sponsor kids like that who, you know, came on our, our senior high retreat. Now, being as explicit as possible, when you give to our church these good things, happen and not just letting that moment roll by. And then, you know, the other side of it is, is thanking people, frankly, you know, and you celebrate what, um, you know, what gets celebrated gets repeated. And as we get out in front of people and say, Hey, thank you so much. Um, you know, it's amazing that that people, uh, pick up on that. And I think that goes not only for public, you know, public thanking, but right through to, you know, what are you doing to ensure when first time givers give that you're doing something? And again, Casey has lots on this or that Rocket Company has lots on this, you know, first time givers or, um, you know, when people switch to some sort of online giving, um, you know, how are you, you know, how are you reinforcing that? And then the other side of the equation, so there's kind of the consistency and then there's campaigns. And it, and it really whether they're kind of the traditional capital campaign mm-hmm. or like an annual Christmas campaign, um, there, there seems to be a common um, pattern in thriving you know, churches where they are coming to their people to give above and beyond what you know, the kind of normal offering would be. And what those are doing is really rallying people to the mission. It's, a, it, it's, although there's a financial piece going on, the bigger issue is that churches are raising the flag and saying, this is what's important to us. And we're doing this right now at our church, mm-hmm. raising the flag and saying, hey, we want to be for our communities. And there's a part of that that's, you know, about us engaging with our neighbors. But then frankly, there's a part of that that's a financial piece. We've got to give to that. And, you know, the interesting thing there is, you know, and it's almost sounds biblical, you know, where <laughs> your resources are is where your heart is, right? And yeah. and when people give to something, there's it's it's not just funding your mission. It's actually locking them into what you're doing. It's, it's a way to move them um, in a real tangible way. And so it seems like churches are doing both of those. I think that's a good example when you said, you know, the initiative we're doing at our church yeah. connects us right now. Jeff Brown, and mm-hmm. sort of the first year anniversary of his time as the new lead pastor at Connexus yep. Church, launched a vision, which is really a, a re-articulation of what we have been about from day one. And we're calling it For the City. We're for Barry, for Aurelia, where we have our campuses. And, you know, it's got different components to it. But basically what he's doing is he's raising the urgency mm-hmm. behind every weekend counts, every relationship counts, and he's done a brilliant job. You can go to connectuschurch.com and if you just search around for two minutes, you'll find For the City mm-hmm. and you can look it up if you want to. We'll include the links to the show notes. But mm-hmm. yeah, there's a financial piece with that as well mm-hmm. because we moved into our facility 18 months ago, outgrew it in kids ministry, Amazing. which is great. So mm-hmm. we secured another couple thousand square feet. We're going to build out some small group rooms. Mm-hmm. Uh, we want to update our music so that we can do more beats in worship. That sounds I good. seem to remember a previous podcast. <laughs> we were talking about that. <laughs> episode eight talking about yes. that. So it just took us two years, yeah, but exactly. we're there now. And uh So we're raising money for that. We're raising money for our partners, you know. Mm -hmm. But when people understand the why, they can connect to the what. What do you Mm -hmm. think about, like, younger people giving? Mm -hmm. Because I hear all the time from church leaders who are stuck, it's just like, you know, all the old people fund the vision. Mm -hmm. I have never actually found that to be true. In the first decade of ministry where we did have a lot of people in their 70s and 80s, it was actually people in their 50s who were funding the ministry, from what I could tell. And we have a lot of, I'd say probably our key givers are between 40 and 60 or 40 and 70 at Connexus Church. Um, But it's, you know, that myth that 
the 80 year olds are funding the ministry more often than not isn't true mm-hmm. or that younger people don't give. Mm-hmm. I haven't found that to be true either. You have to help them to figure that out. What are you learning from unreasonable churches? Yeah, that's a good question. So the definitely a part of what's happened for sure with millennials and younger um, leaders or, 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 you know, Christ followers is there is a, um, there's a, a natural propensity towards cause giving that's, you know, around a particular cause. And they want to draw a connect, direct connection between, you know, their giving and then, and then life change happening. And, and it's funny, if you listen for a while to, you know, some leaders, they almost talk about that begrudgingly. Like they're like, right. I can't believe those young people. They want to know that their giving actually is making a difference. <laughs> I'm like, well, wait a second, wait a second. That's the whole point, right? When people, that's okay. And I don't, the great thing is I think investing, like we, we proudly give to Connexus. And I'm excited about that because I know when I give there, good things are happening. Now, it's part of our job. There was a day where, you know, I think maybe my parents or maybe even my parents' parents, you know, the idea of duty was a, was a held value. And that was a cultural value that when, when someone did something by duty or for duty, that wasn't seen as a negative thing. No. That was actually positive. It was like, no, I'm, I'm doing this out of duty. Well, that notion in the broader culture is almost gone. In fact, if you talk about doing something out of duty, it's probably seen in a negative yeah, context. Yeah, it is seen negative. Absolutely. And so a part of what we have to do is our job is to raise the value of why giving to a local church makes a difference. And I think, again, it gets back to that, the the, the tension of consistently getting out in front of people, thanking them, making the connection, forcing your team to think through well, what is going on at our church that when people give, it wouldn't happen unless they're giving to it. And sometimes I'll hear people say like, well, you know, when you give in the offering, it's just about, you know, uh, light bulbs and, you know, keeping the lights on and like paying salaries. And that's just not true. Like there's all kinds of amazing things that happen through the life of a local church that don't happen if people don't give. And so I think we've got to keep raising the valley for those younger leaders. Right. And I think you can even argue, you know, the, you, there are light bulbs to keep on and there are admin costs and salaries to pay, et cetera. But those salaries serve the bigger purpose of baptism, of life change, yep. of building into the next generation, Absolutely. of all of that. And we just forget that sometimes. Mm-hmm. So I think you're right. You want to give to, I think all of us inherently want to give to a cause that is actually making a difference and using the money well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but even what you said, like, you know, how much did it cost to send those kids to camp? $5,000 maybe right, in a right, multi-million right. dollar budget. Yep. But you, what you're doing is you're doing a little breakout yep. saying, hey, because you gave, mm-hmm. and, and you know, the negative side is if you stop giving, right. this will not happen. Right. Right. But Which is just it's true. true. It is true. <laughs> right. It's all true. Yeah. Um, what about automated giving? in churches. Oh, what have you good, seen about that? Yeah, that's definitely a huge shift. So um, over time, you know, you want to have a funnel and there's, we could have a whole much longer conversation around that, right? You want to reward people as they take steps toward from giving to some sort of special project. Um, that's probably where people will come into your, you know, pipeline. So if you do like a Christmas campaign, you go pick up some, a lot of first time givers through that. And that's fine. Don't begrudge those people. That's mm. exciting. We're excited that those people celebrate them, be glad that, that they're there. And then, you know, over time, they're definitely is a shift. And I, I'm sure we've seen it at Connexus and obviously don't stare at our numbers that closely, but over time, there's definitely a shift towards automated giving, you know, electronic giving. Um, and that, which is for us, you know, is, is great because, you know, we all have those times a year where maybe people aren't attending on a Sunday morning or they're, you know, they're maybe up at the, at the cottage or at the lake house and, you know, they're away and that helps, you know, even out the, the revenue, which is important because typically your expenses don't go away in those times. If anything, they maybe go up. Yeah, no, I think we've seen, I think in the last five years, we've gone from 25 or 30% 
digital giving, recurring giving to 70 or 80%. Yeah. And the other thing too, that we've mentioned before in this show, but just many churches are still relying on checks and cash. Yes. And it's like, when, right. when do you do that? I feel bad right. when I go to a store now and there's some little kid like selling cookies. Yep. I feel awful because I don't have money. <laughs> like, like, do, do you, you have the swipe card? Can yeah, I swipe on yeah, your iPad like, or something? <laughs> yeah. I know it just like, it's, it's horrible, but I don't have cash on me. I don't have it in the car. Right. And so, you know, there are many times where maybe younger people want to give, they just mm-hmm. don't know how. And you're like, well, drop the money in the plate. It's right. like, there is no money. Right. It's in my account. Right. Exactly. So you got to you want me to give it. Yes. A little practical tip. We, I love practical tips. Um, you know, if your church is experiencing that kind of growth, like a lot of churches have, that's a really typical story. You know, maybe they were 20, 30. Now they're up over 50%. You probably are um, receiving enough digitally that you can go to whoever you, whoever is your service provider on that, the bank, PayPal, whoever, and renegotiate your rates and get a better rate. Because typically oh. what happens is churches start and they're not doing very much. And then those providers are happy to just continue to charge that rate as you go. And you know, it's, you're going to shave a percentage or two, but when you talk about a percentage or two oh. off of 70% of your revenue, you know, it's oh huge my dollars. Yeah. You know? so even I, if you're a half million dollar church or, you yeah. know, in our case, it's almost 2 million. Yeah. That's a lot of money. It's significant. Yeah. It's a significant yeah. piece. And most churches, it's not even a huge deal. Just approach whoever your payment processor is and say, Hey, we want a better rate. And usually they'll be, they'll fold quickly because they don't want you to move. Um, you know, even, even an organization like PayPal will do that. They won't like me saying that, but they will. <laughs> so. They haven't sponsored this podcast. No, exactly. So exactly. It's okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, that's helpful on money. Multi-site. Mm. Now, mm-hmm. I think you're one of the top experts on multi-site oh, in, the, in the country mm-hmm. um, or countries, mm-hmm. Canada and the U.S., sure. North America. <laughs> Some people see it as a fad. There's critics of, of multi-site. Um, some people see it as a Band-Aid, but all kinds of churches are using it. Mm-hmm. What are you seeing these days in multi-site and how does that help the church become unreasonable? Mm, that's a very good question. I, you know, when I started in multi-site in the early 2000s um, at the church I was at, I called the Meeting House, I remember we found, I found a dozen churches that were doing multi-site. And I remember thinking, that's an incredible amount of churches. Like I can't, <laughs> I can't imagine. And, and if you were to say to me then, you know, there's over a thousand of these, you know, there's close to, I think the last number I saw was 5 million people this weekend who are attend at a campus of a multi-site wow. church in, in North America. I always would have never said that. I'm like, there's no way. Because you were an early pioneer. When yes. was that that you started experimenting with multi-site? 2001. Yeah. Um, so it's early days on that. And, I, and we, it was, a, it was solving a very particular, we thought what we thought was a very particular problem at our church. Um, and then ended up becoming a much bigger part of the strategy. But, you know, I think what's happened over time is multi-site has shifted from kind of a strategy of larger churches to really become the new normal. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, mo- I have a, a good friend of mine planting a church in, in Sarasota, Florida. Um, you know, his, his, his first public service is in January. They haven't even started yet, and he's talking about multi-site. They're talking about how does that fit into their strategy. Not like they're going to launch out next week, but down the road. They're so thinking not, about not that. to pick on your friend, yeah. but just like, it, can you be too premature in multi-site? Like what, what has to be there for you to be able to do it and for it to to be unreasonable, but not stupid? Yeah, I think that's a good question. So the, the benchmark I've been using recently is that 94% number again. Basically, mm-hmm. if your church is growing faster than the community you're in, you need to look very closely on why that is and ask the question, should we multiply? Should yeah. it, Because the reality from a kingdom point of view, you're experiencing something unique across the entire country. And there's a, you have a responsibility as a leader who is leading in that kind of church to say, well, maybe, maybe God does want to do something. The interesting thing I've noticed over time talking with church leaders who aren't multi-site is 
um, there is definitely that that dichotomy. People who aren't in multi-site now, they would be like, I'm not sure we, we want to do that. It's like a false humility. Like, well, we, right. you know, it's not that big of a deal. Then on the other end, you do have people who probably jump the, you know, jump the curve too quickly. We're 50 people. We're going Let's to our second it. location. Yeah, exactly. Because the problem is you'll just multiply your problems. Now, yeah. the, the reality of it is over time, as you watch the kind of, for lack of a better word, the, the multi-site trends, the, the average campus size just keeps getting smaller and smaller over time. And so, you know, at one point it was, you know, like fit between 1500 and 2000 was the size of a church that would go multi-site. Now that number is down uh, lower than 800. So it's like seven something and it's just heading smaller and smaller. And that's all average. The time. So that's they're average. smaller and bigger. Yeah, there are and minimum it, threshold. No, exactly. There are, there are churches of, you know, a couple hundred people who have said because of their particular context for one reason or another, maybe they're in a rural context, maybe because of, you know, facilities and liquid in New Jersey. So, you know, we were in the most densely populated state in the country. Um, you know, there just was no more land. There was no more space. You couldn't get parking. You couldn't find. Yeah, you're not going to build the 5,000 no, seat on it. No, not going to happen. And so um, even if you had all the money in the world, the land's literally just not available. Yeah. And so, you know, multi-site became a particular, we had to do it. We had to go, you know, we had to go multi-site. So, so yeah. it's it's for growing churches. Now, yeah. one of the things I've talked to in, in larger church multi-site mm-hmm. churches is they're finding that their existing campuses aren't necessarily growing exponentially. But it's all the sites they're adding that is creating the 5, 10, 15, 30% growth overall. It's almost like if you want to look at it from a retail perspective, same store sales are down or flat, Mm -hmm. but new locations are generating growth. Is multi-site a growth strategy and under what conditions, in your view, should it be a growth strategy? Because I know some people are like, we're stuck at 200, so we're going to add a second location. Good move or not? Yeah, that the problem with that is you're probably just going to replicate what you have now. If it's yeah. not real super clear why you're not growing, um, I would be hesitant to, to recommend that you do multi-site. I think you need to stare into that issue. You could still come to the conclusion, you know, we're completely maxed out here. So we had that. You know, we had campuses where um, we had a merger happen and we moved into this facility and it was a total God story, but it kind of blew up. And within 18 months, we literally couldn't grow anymore. Like there wasn't, there was literally no more there space. There were no seats. <laughs> yeah, there's no space yet. So that that campus isn't growing, um, but there it's it it has become an impetus for for launching new campuses, and that had been our story. There is a, and I've said this to campus pastors so many times um, as they launch out, you will get more first time guests on your first day than you will get in your first month. Your first month than you'll get in your first three months. Your first three months in your first year. Your first year then probably your first five years. There is something about the newness factor that does drop new people in. And so over time, that is a, that is a, uh, that is happening. That's definitely a trend that kind of older campuses have a slower growth rate. And so, you know, stepping out into a new, new community can be a good idea and, and you should, it should be looked at wisely again, get clarity on why you're not growing. But you shouldn't be fundamentally flawed and, and you definitely should not be in decline. No, no, absolutely. And I, you know, I think the sweet spot, there are some people who, you know, and a friend, dear friends of mine who are in multi-site will, that will explicitly say, you know, if your church is not growing by at least 5% a year, you should not. And, and I'm probably less dogmatic than that. I would say you really need to stare into it and understand what the growth dynamics that are happening there. Um, And they would also say, you know, the same people are similar people in that, you know, that would hold that thought would say, you know, unless you're a church of X size. So they would say, unless you're a church of a thousand, you know, our case is a good example at Conexus, right? Mm. We, we launched two campuses seven days apart from each other, not out of necessity, but because of just the situation we found ourselves in, we have to do this. Exactly. We're going to do this. And, and, and I, and And we weren't a thousand people. No, we weren't a thousand people Mm -hmm. at the time. 
And, um, you know, I think at the end of the day, that was the right decision. I think that was the I right so thing too. to do. Um, and so you've, you know, I, I, you want to be hesitant to just make blanket statements like that. The, the other interesting thing about, you know, multi-site is really the merger conversation. So a yeah. third of all new campuses are coming because of mergers. So if you're a multi-site church today and you don't have an active strategy for merging or rebirthing other churches, you're probably missing out on a piece of the equation for future locations. And so, you know, that's, that's a whole other conversation we could have there. But I, you know, I'm a huge believer in the, the merger or rebirth really, I think is better language, um, you know, church movement that's happening today. Okay. <laughs> Anything else on multi-site? That was good. No, that's, I, had, I think that's it. Yeah. Yeah. That, <laughs> that's pretty thorough. But um, I do think, do you see it as a trend that's going away, or you're just going to see more and more churches doing it? Well, I, so when there were 12 multi-site churches that I knew of, <laughs> I thought, well, maybe there could be 20 someday. <laughs> and then, you know, and then I remember hearing, like, this was years later, there was like, well, there's a, there's 150 across North America. And I remember like, well, maybe you'll get to 250. Um, and every time those numbers have come out, I'm, I've always been surprised and think it's got to stop. Like at some point, at some point, you've got to top out. Um, but I, you know, I, I really think it's a permanent shift. I think there's a, the, basically every church that the, the numbers show that every church that's growing today is either multi-site or just about to go multi-site or thinking about multi-site. And so, you know, if that's, if we get back to that 94% number, that's 6,000 churches across the yeah. country. So that, you know, that's a lot of churches that could still go multi-site. So in business terms, is that kind of like market rationalization mm. where, you know, you see, you see dying companies sort of dying churches disappear almost like Netflix taking over cable. Right. And, you know, then there were the three networks. If you mm -hmm. look at it this way, you know, mm -hmm. 30 years ago. Right. And I've heard this a few times this year, but like name, name the news anchors on the three American <laughs> networks in the eighties. Yeah. Everyone uh, could do it. Yes. Today. Right, right, right. I have could no be. idea. Yeah, you have no idea. I have no idea because they've been taken over by cable. People yep. are more likely to watch ABO or HBO or USA Today or some you know, the USA Network or whatever. Yep. You can see how much right. I know about TV. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Or the Netflix. They're yep. far more likely to watch Netflix yes. or, or even YouTube or Vimeo mm -hmm. or something like that than mm -hmm. they are. So maybe there's a little bit of that happening where the dying are dying faster and the growing are yeah, taking over the market. I think so. And I think there could be the merger piece of the equation um, could be a part of that, that right. I, I think what's going to happen here in the coming years is there'll be a, um, an acceleration of rebirths where multi-sites will be working in, you know, collaboration with other churches. I think we'll see that as really kind of multi-site 2.0. It's happening now. It's a significant piece of multi-site, but I, I think there's probably an accelerating nature of that. Years ago, I remember being, um, you know, at a drive conference and Andy Stanley saying yeah. like, hey, you know, if somebody could figure that piece out, the kingdom would be a much better place. And it's true. There is enough resources in the kingdom. They're just allocated strangely. Mm -hmm. And we've got to figure out how to get that, you know, piece together. And I, I think that probably unlike in mar the marketplace where, you know, you know, Netflix took over from, from, you know, Blockbuster, remember them, oh, yeah. um, you know, they, um, in this case, I think we can, you know, work with churches that have had a long-term history of, you know, gospel, you know, de declaration in communities and new vibrant churches can really help accelerate that and continue to do that in the community. So if uh, someone's on a board or in leadership at a church, even on staff that's dying or declining, would you recommend they tap a growing church on the shoulder and say, hey, should we talk? Absolutely. I think on yeah. both sides of the equation, I think, um, I think if your church isn't growing, uh, this I've never said this publicly. Okay, here we go. If your church isn't growing, I think you should be looking at 
the growing church in town and saying, hmm, should we merge with those people? Would wow. it be better for us to, would it would be better for the kingdom for that to happen? I do think that. And then I think on the flip side, if you're, if you're a growing church, I think you probably have to be actively pursuing those conversations and not, not passively. Not waiting with, for them to come to you. Not waiting for them to come to you, but reaching out in a loving, you know, caring way, in a genuinely caring way, which is, you know, that's hard to do. We have a whole other conversation we can have, but how you interact with those churches to care for them and say, hey, maybe there's a way we could work together. We can right. find some, you know, some connection that works. So... Are you finding like some churches would have difficulty because of denominations, right? And them owning the assets or controlling that sort of thing. Any word to denominations on that? Yeah, I don't know that I have a lot to say. But, uh, <laughs> well, you've always worked in a non-denominational Yeah, I've been, pr- context, been primarily, right? although the Meeting House is a part of the denomination. Oh, you're right. a small right. denomination. But very permission, permissive. Yes. Yeah, very open. Yeah. Very absolute, open, very permissive. Yeah, very, absolutely. The Bix you know, are so wonderful. I think even... Um, within that context, if I'm, maybe it's not the church across town. If I'm, if I'm within a denominational structure that is, um, you know, that, that I find myself in and I, and I couldn't figure, figure out how to work with someone from another denomination, I would be asking who's the church within my tribe that I should be doing, you know, work with. I just this week talked with two church leaders from growing, uh, thriving churches here and, um, both within a denomination. And they're saying like, I just don't know how to relate with other churches, right? I don't know what within my tribe, I have more connection with people outside my tribe and how do we, you know, how do we deal with that? Um, so yeah, I think Mm. within a denomination, you know, if, if you're, if you're constrained and you can't work with other churches for whatever reason, I'd be looking for what about churches within my movement? You know, what's the closest church to us that's, you know, within our movement and say, maybe we need to just collaborate with them and figure out. And it doesn't necessarily, there's a spectrum of collaboration, uh, you know, on the, the, one end would be a full rebirth. One end would be like, okay, we literally become that. We become that new, that other church, we become a campus of that. But that doesn't necessarily mean that's where it has to be. It could be, right. you know, we're going to work together. We're going to find, you know, maybe we're going to use some of their teaching or we're going to do Easter together every year. We're going to find ways to get closer together um, and figuring out what that spectrum looks like. Right. And I think, you know, for denominational uh, officials listening, it's just a different day. Yeah. And it's time to wake up to the fact that what worked 30 years ago just doesn't work anymore. Yeah. And to figure that out and be experimental and innovative and maybe a bit unreasonable. Yeah, exactly. That'd be good. Okay, <laughs> right. now you profile, we just drilled deep on a couple of issues, but yep. what, what were some other findings of unreasonableness in churches that you discovered in your research? Yeah, there, there was a bunch of great churches and, uh, you know, we could spend a lot of time talking about any of them, but there's, you know, there's this church in, um, in Georgia, uh, North Star Church, uh, Mike Lynch, has he been on the podcast here? No, I don't know. Not, he's a great, it's a great church. Okay. Um, so there, um, the thing, there's a lot I love about North Star Church, but the thing, Pastor Mike talks about how do we change our church from being an invisible church to being an indispensable church. Mm. And they do this amazing thing where every year they're hosting um, at least 150 events in their church building for at least 250 people who are from the community. They're not, these aren't church events. These are, they're, they're opening up their resource and saying, listen, Hey, we, um, we built this building. It's a really nice facility. Um, we want to use it for, and it's all different kinds of groups. So you've got, um, you know, the local, um, you know, teachers associations, they'll do like their, their professional development days will come in and, and do them at their facility. Um, they'll do, um, you know, all different kinds of like coaching clinics for, you know, the local, you know, sports teams. And what they've said is we've got this building, we've got this asset that's sitting empty. 
um, for six days a week. And they're saying, how do we use that to reach the community? How do we use that tool to make an impact? Um, in fact, to the point where they actually have two full-time staff members, their entire job is to serve those community groups um, and really mm. try to engage those community groups. And think about that, like three, what that comes out to is three pretty major groups a week, you know, every week of the year throughout the entire year. And they don't charge those groups anything. It's just literally a gift to the community. Wow. They also do, um, so that's kind of inbound, but they also talk about outbound where they're they're looking at basically taking their volunteer core and saying, how do we plug that into community groups? And so they did the number of escapes. I mean, I think it's 40,000 community hours last year. Their people out serving in the community. So serving with Big Brothers, Big Sisters, serving with, you know, the local baseball league, serving with, um, you know, after school tutoring. And they see a part of their volunteer process, a part of getting people plugged in as, you know, not only are you going to serve here, but we want to get you plugged yeah. into something in the community, um, which I just love. And um, Mike's a great guy. He's a great leader, um, great kind of person to serve. And his question that he comes back to all the time is like, hey, if North Star was to go away tomorrow, would anyone notice? Um, mm. uh, you know, or, you know, we, we want to be so indispensable that if we were to, you know, to go away, the community would be crying like, no, we need to have North Star. Or we'd I, reinvent it. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> we got to figure out what that, you know, what that looks like. And the cool thing, I'm mean, in the midst of all that, um, cause some people might listen to that, um, and say like, well, that's interesting. It's just a bunch of community service. The cool thing about that is they've, they've seen that as a bridge to, um, the kind of declaration or proclamation that their church does on a regular basis. And so it's, it's not like they're just like, Hey, we're a community service organization they're doing that to build a bridge ultimately to point right. people back to jesus which is you know wonderful. right it's not random acts of kindness right. it's strategic yeah absolutely it's great and they see it as a part of their kind of discipleship process that a part of you know what it looks like to be you know borrowing some language a fully devoted follower of christ is that mm. you're serving in the community that that is a part of who you are which is which you know shocker has all kinds of great positive impact when you're motivating hundreds thousands of people to be serving in the community, you know, and people know, oh, they're coming from North Star, you know, the impact that has on the church is very positive. Yeah. Well, that's great. <laughs> Any other findings that come to mind? Because I mean, what, you profiled 11 different strategies? Yeah, there were 10 different churches we talked about. And, you know, the another one that comes to mind that I love to talk about is uh, 12 Stone, which some listeners oh, yeah. maybe have heard of. Most of the churches in the book, I deliberately picked churches that were, I tried to resist name brand churches that have right. a positive. So it's not North Point, New Spring, no. Saddleback. No, yeah. I deliberately, now 12 Stone would maybe be the exception to that. They're a right. well-known church. Kevin Myers, uh, Dan Ryland, Kevin Myers is the lead pastor there. Dan Ryland is the executive executive pastor, great, uh, great leaders. They did this crazy thing, speaking of multi-site, uh, about two years ago now, where they um, they went from four campuses to nine campuses overnight. So they they literally launched five campuses on one day. And it's interesting luck. listening to, exactly, listening to Kevin talk about it. Um, you know, he, he would say, I'm putting words in his mouth, but he would say, you know, a big part of the reason why they did it was they didn't want to be complacent anymore. And he had this conviction that they got to the place where they were like, we can kind of just coast now. We're a big church. We got four campuses. We're well-funded. Things are working. Um, you know, money is happening. Like we're paying our bills. You know, we're paying down debt. All that is fine. Um, and he, there was a certain amount of internal conviction that he had that if we don't risk something big, they had this amazing campaign they called the Pioneer Campaign. If they don't risk something big, um, they risk the fact that they'll they'll decline and and die ultimately as a church. So the the amazing thing about that is everyone talks about you know well not everyone but people talk about you know your 
your you know kind of your your decline begins as a church the day after your big your biggest day. And the amazing thing about Twelve Stone is they actually put that to practice and said we're going to risk it. We're going to take a huge risk here. And so they stepped out. The amazing thing they went from you know they had four campuses before they launched. Two of them were permanent and two of them were portable. Deliberately, all five of them were were portable locations. So overnight they they grew. They went from being primarily a permanent location church to being primarily portable. They did all kinds of interesting things, uh, you know, in the midst of all that. And they would say, you know, it's been amazing to listen to, um, you know, there that has, it's continued to pay off. They've had hundreds, thousands, I think in the end, it was 1500 volunteers, new volunteers that they got pressed to service wow. uh, to make it all work. And obviously all the, the, the impact of that was, was positive on, you know, their people and on their communities. That's incredible. So, um, some leaders listening to this are stuck. They are frustrated and they can't even ever imagine their church being an unreasonable church because everything's so reasonable and rational. Yes. <laughs> rational. And this is just where we're going to be forever. Any mm-hmm. advice for them? This may be not what you'd expect. I, I, I think that those church leaders should find community. Um, you know, you really are. I really do think we're the collection of our five closest friends. Yep. And, you know, we're, we're, we really become who we hang out with. And so I would challenge a leader that's stuck today to say, let's look around at our ministry friends, our ministry companions, and say, are we hanging around with people who are just like us? Are we hanging around with other leaders who act the way we act? And what if you said, you know, in this coming year, um, we're, I'm going to change some of those relationships. I know there's that guy across town or that woman across town that leads that great ministry. Mm. And I have a tangential relationship with them, but not a not a great relationship. What if I reached out to them and said, Hey, I'd love to have a coffee with you and begin developing a relationship with them, but, but do that in a, um, you know, with some intention behind it and get to know some people. And over time, I think what will happen is your assumptions. Cause I think sometimes we look at those churches and we say like, well, those people are whatever they're superhuman. They're, um, you know, they're totally they're not different. Us. They're not us. Right. And that's just not, not true. And I think what will happen over time as you get community, as you get closer, is you'll start to grow as a leader and you'll become a different person. And ultimately, uh, you know, think, positive things will start to happen in your church. I know for me, um, really the whole journey of the getting to know these 10 churches and really the whole unseminary thing and all that goes way back to my knee-jerk reaction, which I just thought was normal, that when you have a problem, you should reach out to people and try mm. to learn from them. Right. You know, like, which sounds like rocket science, but most church leaders don't do that. No. Nope. They don't have people that they can call and just be like, hey, what about this or what about that? I think that's brilliant advice because, you know, I think there is a group think mm. and you eventually have a common conversation among the people that this is possible and this isn't. One of my all-time favorite quotes, Henry Ford, whether you think you can or think you can't, you're right. <laughs> this true. is just so true. It's, it's true. so true. So, yeah. all right, before we're done, yep. um, Unreasonable Churches, tell us how they can get it. But then I, I do want to talk about how you actually created the book, because um, it was in a typical Rich Birch only would think of this style. You did it very different. And I know there's, a, again, we talked about this on previous episodes, but there are listeners who like, as a result of listening to this podcast, have gotten their books published, but you found a new way to do it that I'd never heard of. And I want you to tell people about it. Yeah. So when I set out to, to publish Unreasonable Churches, um, 
You took your millions of dollars out of your yeah, personal account. Yeah, we, we and did. Self-funded. It. Yeah, exactly. No, not so much. Okay. So what I wanted to do was I, I wanted to release this book, and I think there's a lot of church leaders that are are listening in today that probably have a message they want to get out to their people, and um, they have you know kind of within them uh, some you know stuff they want to give to people, and the book just continues to be a great way to do that. That's a mm-hmm. great kind of transmission method. It, it continues to be even in a digital age. And so what I decided to do was I, I decided to self-publish, but not only, you know, and, and people that know self-publishing, you know, the traditional, you know, I would say maybe 10 years ago, they called vanity publishing and, you know, right. and it had a really negative connotation to it. It may still in some circles, I don't think it does, but, but what people would do traditionally and kind of self-publish is you'd have to get a bunch of money and get, hire a bunch of staff and, and maybe just on contract, but then ultimately print a bunch of books and then try to sell them um, to people. Right. And so you have a garage full you of books. You have a garage full of books. There are a lot of folks <laughs> that have self-published that have like, you know, 500 cases of books and that right. they're giving to their and you grandkids. you just don't have that many cousins. Yeah, exactly. You just don't. <laughs> exactly. And so you're stuck. <laughs> exactly. And so, you know, I didn't want that problem. Um, uh-huh. And I, you know, and I, my joke always, if someone bumps into me and I'm sorry if I've given this joke to you, people will say like, oh, I listened to your podcast. And I'll always say like, you and my mom, I was always trying to find out who was the other person. <laughs> Um, and you know, there is just a part of that. The reality of it is like, I'm not sure, um, you know, if, if anyone will purchase this book, I want it out in the world. Mm -hmm. Um, does, I don't need to sell. I'm not trying to become a millionaire off the back of this book. I want, I want to be able to get this book in the hands of leaders who, uh, want, you know, want to take it. And so Amazon has this amazing thing. Well, first of all, Amazon is incredible marketplace. And, you know, I heard this stat from, um, a good friend of mine who's in the kind of church leadership world, um, that, 90, it was in high 90s, 97, 98% of all the books sold to church leaders are sold through Amazon, which isn't surprising. Really? That's not like a like, oh, I'm surprised by that number. Um, it, it is it is the dominant place. Now, so to get listed on Amazon is actually pretty straightforward. You can you could go and do the self-publishing thing that I talked about and, um, you know, get a, a print them up and actually you can just ship them. They have this thing called FBA, Fulfillment by Amazon, where you literally, and I, we've done this, where you pack up a box of books, send them to Amazon, they'll sit on their bookshelf. And then when people buy it, they pack them up and then ship them off to them. And it looks exactly like, you know, a big publisher does it. But even more, but the problem with that is you're fronting money to make all that happen. Right. Um, they have a, a system called... And you've got minimum print runs too, right? Exactly. In, yep. in traditional publishing. Yeah, exactly. So even if you're self-publishing, yep. what would a typical minimum print run be? You know... To get your setup costs. Yeah, reasonable price. You're looking at, you know, a thousand to fifteen hundred to get a reasonable cost. You can get it less than that, but it's it's you're gonna be you're not gonna make any money and it's gonna cost you a lot of money. So, you know, you're talking about outlaying thousands of dollars. Yeah, like five to ten K. Yeah, exactly. That's very modest. Easily, yeah, easily. You could do twenty if you wanted to. Absolutely. Which for a lot of people it's like, well, I don't have that kind of money or I don't want to go into that kind of debt. And what if I only sell eight books? What the average book sells what, five hundred copies? Yeah, I think so. It's pretty low. Yeah, it's low that range it's pretty low and so so amazon has this service called create space which is a print on demand service which is pretty amazing so basically what you do is you design the book digitally so it's mm-hmm. designed in indesign you, you need some help with some people who are technical and you um, can fiver it if you need to. yeah exactly you can find them <laughs> online um, there's probably even people at your church who could do that or you can you know you can find them online for sure and what you do is basically all you do is load up the digital files to Amazon Create Spaces mm-hmm. um, server, 
and they literally print them on demand. So if I sell one book, um, if my mom goes and buys a copy of that book, what happens is- Which she will. She will. Hopefully she did. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it'll basically what happens is they go on, they buy the book. Amazon still does that. We'll deliver it in two days, prime thing. That night they print them off, pack it up and send it out. So they don't print the book until someone- uh, buys it now. The and amazing this is like thing, a book book. This is yes. not Kindle. This, this is, is not like Kindle. a bound, you yes. know, soft cover, hard cover book. Yeah, absolutely. And I, this is a shameless plug. If you want, I'm really proud of the way our, my book turned out. I think it looks yeah. great. A part of what I wanted it to do is I wanted it to have. Ultimately, I'm hoping leaders will buy it and give it as a gift. And so I wanted the physical book to look good. And so it looks amazing. It turned out great. I'm super happy with it. You wouldn't know unless you looked at it closely that you're like, oh yeah, this is. In fact, you unless you know what you're looking for, you wouldn't know it was printed on. Uh, on demand. So it's a great service. And you know, that word authority is such an interesting word, right? Church leaders are an authority, but at the core, the core of authority is author. And I think there Mm. is still something to that in our, in our world. People look at people for whatever reason who have written books and it's happened to me. I'm like, I'm not really that big of a deal. I've just written a book. It's not that big of a deal. I'm the same guy I was, you know, six weeks ago before I released it. But there is something in our culture that still translates, even though it's super easy to do. Mm. Um, and that may last for another 10 years or five years, as, but until people figure out, actually, it doesn't really take that much to, to be a, become a, you <laughs> be know, an author. To be an author. Now, but, ultimately, but you got to have great ideas, well, right? Well, it's one ultimately. thing to be an author. It's another thing to be an author who's read. Yes. Which, which actually is still an accomplishment. Absolutely. But I do think, and you know, why I wanted you to share that, number yep. one, I'd never heard of this. Amazon mm. Create Space. Create Space, it's called, yeah. Literally, and I'm like, so how much money does that cost you up front, Rich? And your answer is nothing. really nothing. Yeah, the, yeah, so the design process. Yeah, so there's the cost to do the design work, um, and that can vary. You know, you literally you can take. You know, you probably don't want to do this, but you literally could take like a Microsoft word doc they give you a right. template you can upload it to amazon <laughs> space you know create space and they'll print it for you as long so as you, you could do it yourself you could, you could literally yeah. outline zero dollars for this but again if you can get a freelancer yep. or go to you know what is it odesk student, or something, yep, like something like that like a that. student you get it yep. you get somebody who's studying this or mm-hmm. some 17 year old you know who can mm-hmm. do this and then you know, they, they literally, so if one book gets purchased a day, Amazon doesn't wait until there's 20. Nope. They just print the one book, yep. they ship it up, mm-hmm. and it shows up at your house 48 hours later. Yep, absolutely. Nuts. Well, and that the amazing thing, you know, for, and then you can buy them, um, but you can buy, still buy them by the cart or by the box. Right, so, so if I order 100, yep, they'll you, produce 100. And they'll, and those are a lot cheaper, so you'll, right. so, so a church can do, and we, we went through this at Liquid where we printed a book, we did the kind of traditional um, kind of self-publishing thing. T- Tim, our lead uh, pastor, had this great message, great relationship message called You Married the Wrong Person. And so we took that message and a series of his other messages and packaged it up into a book called You Married the Wrong Person. And then we did a whole relationship series based around it. And the hook was this, come to the first week of the series and we'll give you a free copy of Tim's book. Um, now, Brilliant. as kind of a like, hey, we're so glad you're here. It's a gift to you. There was a disproportionate value thing going on where people were like, I can't believe they're going to give me a free book. Now, the reality of it is it's, you know, relatively inexpensive to print a book. What would a unit cost on that be? $3? They were less than that. We were printing them for like maybe a dollar 20. They're a fairly thin book that we printed. Um, And so, you know, it was, it was, it was great to do. It was a great promotion. Literally, it was a 
sub $2 free gift yep. for every person who came. And But everybody thinks it's like 10 or $15 in their head. Their value in their head is like, oh, this is a 10 to $15 value and it only cost us $2, which was great for driving. You know, a couple of years ago, we had a, a growth spurt between kind of um, February and Easter. And that was a big part of that, that whole tool there. And I think there's a lot of pastors who are listening in today who have core content like that, that yeah. they're like, oh, yeah. these are great messages that... And we yeah, throw them away after They're just sitting... Weeks. Well, and that, yeah, the mm-hmm. church does that all the time. You just put it on the shelf and you don't ever think about it again. Um, but there, you know, you could package that up. There's a guy out there, uh, Caleb Brakey, who runs a service called sermontobook.com, which leads really? pastors through that. Um, and it's basically, he's like a coach that kind of holds your hand through taking sermons and then packaging them up into to books. It's not that, you know, you could do it yourself. He's just yeah, done yeah. it a bunch of times. And so it's, you know, could be a potential service. Well, this is interesting. People. So the unit cost is relatively low. You're yep. probably sub $3 yep. a book. Yep. And I mean, your book to buy is like a normal retail price. Absolutely. Yeah. And and when you're when you're as a as a leader, typically church leaders who are listening in, they're not really primarily driven by the financials no. on this thing, right? They they've got a message and I would say that about my book. I want people to read it. I obviously I'm right. charging for it, but um, I want people to read, I want them to give it to their friends. I want it to motivate, you know, other folks. But like I say, I'm not I'm not trying to become a No, well, I, but, but but here's the bottom line. I mean, yep. did you deliver value in your book is what? 14.99? Yep. Yep. Is it worth $14? Yeah, yes. absolutely. I yep. think it is. Yep. And at the end of the day, what it means for authors is you're not necessarily going to lose your shirt. Right. I mean, if you do the design for a couple thousand dollars or whatever, mm-hmm. and it mm-hmm. costs you in mm-hmm. outsourcing, mm-hmm. you're reasonably certain you're going to get your money back as yeah. opposed to having explained to your wife one day, well, now <laughs> we need to build a new garage and we're $20,000 in debt. Yes, you know? exactly. Right, exactly. because I published a book, which right. has been the curse of self-publishing. Yes, absolutely. So I'm really glad. Thank you for breaking that down for us no, because no I know there are a lot of people who think mm-hmm. they have a book in in them. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I wanted you to talk about that because I'd never heard about it didn't even know it existed. We live in this fabulous age. Right. And you can also see why I follow Rich Birch because he's full of like incredible information like this. So Rich, I know there are going to be leaders who want to follow with you. Tell mm-hmm. us about the podcast, the blog, and where they can find you online. Yeah, so you can you can find the book online at unreasonablechurches.com or at Amazon. You can follow me at unseminary.com. We talk about stuff you wish they uh, taught in seminary. We have a weekly podcast and articles. Would love to. And Carrie, just love your show. I think this has been an incredible gift to the church at large. And I'm honored to come back a second time and really love what you're doing uh, to help other church leaders. You'll be back again, Rich. <laughs> it's just fun to hang out with you. Thanks so much, man. Thank you. And uh, really appreciate all you do and appreciate having you today. Thanks. Well, doesn't Rich make you think? I mean, of all the people I interact with, Rich has got to be one of those guys who just like bends my brain regularly. It's just great uh, to sit down and have a conversation with Rich. If you want more, just head over to the show notes. Uh, You can find them at kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 113. Also, that's where you're going to find the free resource for you from our partner today, Trained Up. And you can go to trainedup.org or just head on over to the show notes. And there is a free ebook that you can get that will show you how to successfully onboard your volunteers. So I hope you'll check that out. They do an incredible job serving churches. Also want to let you know that we're back next Tuesday with a fresh episode. In fact, next week, I'm going to have William Vanderblumen back on the podcast. He was here a long time ago. And he's. I, I want to talk to him this time about how do you actually know when it's time to quit? Because he leads one of the largest pastoral search firms around. 
And he deals with this all the time. Churches that had pastors who left too early, who, who stayed on too long. And so I pick William's brain on how do you know when your time and a place is done and it's time to move on. Also, a couple of weeks from now, Sean C is going to be with us. Sean, friend for years, powerful conversation about how his church was growing rapidly, but things were falling apart at home. And then we've got Dave Adamson, who people like Brian Dodd calls the number one follow on Instagram on how to do social media devotions. And so, you know, it's the usual mixed bag of all kinds of, well, things that are interesting to me, and I hope they're interesting to you. And if you subscribe, you won't miss it. If you do subscribe today and you haven't done that yet, then guess what? Next Tuesday, before you wake up, wherever you are, this episode shows up. And I think I can make that promise because I get up pretty early and I'm on Eastern time. So it's always there when I wake up in the morning. So chances are it will be. And then you can take it on your commute, on your run to the gym, wherever you listen to this thing. So we're back next Tuesday with a fresh episode. Can't wait to hang out. If this has been helpful to you, please leave a rating and review. And in the meantime, I hope our time together today has helped you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.